looking forward to the study down Thessalonians. What I want to do this morning is to um, give you the introduction and, and to begin working through the first couple of verses here. Um, the first, really, the first chapter itself is pretty much just an introduction and a sort of time for Paul, the, the, the author here, to, to thank God for the Thessalonians. It, it is a time of prayer, a time of thanksgiving um, in this letter. Uh, but let's begin here with a few bits of, of introduction just to help us out. I want us to understand the book, where it's coming from, who it's being written to, when it's being written, some of those things. Um, hopefully this will be a help to you. If you have a study Bible, that will help you out along the way, uh, along in your studies. I encourage you not just to read the Bible, but to study the Bible. God has given us tools and resources uh, so that we might know Him more, so that we might know uh, the depth of His Word, which we could dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and never reach the bottom of. Uh, but to begin here, um, let's read, first of all, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 3 today, uh, and, and we'll look here. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is uh, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, uh, for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering uh, without ceasing um, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Let's stop there here this morning. Let's first of all look at this introduction to kind of see where the book is coming from. Uh, first of all, the author and date. author is clearly identified as Paul, seeing in verse number one. We have Paul, we have Silvanus and Timotheus. We'll get to them here in just a little bit. But Silvanus is going to be uh, Silas and Timotheus, you guess, is Timothy. All right. Uh, but then in verse or chapter two, verse 18, we see once more, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Um, so clearly the author is identifying himself as Paul. Uh, Paul would often uh, write these things with his very own hand, or at times he would have others who would do the penning for it. It appears that he's writing this uh, along with them. We're going to see this. Silvanus is Silas, uh, Timotheus, Timothy, and they're mentioned with him as his traveling companions in this letter as well. We'll get into that a little bit this morning. But Paul does this in mentioning them to carry more weight and showing the agreement of which he is writing to the church as Silas and Timothy know them and have ministered to them as well. Uh, so Paul has been to Thessalonica, uh, Timothy and Silas have also been. They know them, they've, men, uh, um, they've uh, discipled them, they've prayed for them, they've preached there, they, they know them personally. And so this is carrying uh, quite the weight for them to show uh, they mean business, but as well as that they're coming as friends, as brothers in Christ, uh, then we find as well here that there are uh, several other arguments that show evidence against the radical critics of the letters uh, uh, of authorship being the Apostle Paul. What this is for here is there's many today, uh, this has been fairly recent, that have said that Thessalonians was not written by Paul. That this doesn't make much sense, being that the very first word in the letter is Paul, and then just a chapter later goes, I, Paul, right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But nevertheless, there's a couple of things I wanted to just be of note here for you just to solidify this. Uh, MacArthur kind of helps to solidify it. He says the, the direct assertion of Paul's authorship is there. Uh, verse 1, 1 and chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, then number 2, the letter's perfect correlation with Paul's travels in Acts 16 through 18. We'll look at that here in a moment. Then 3, the multitude of intimate details regarding Paul. That's going to be found in chapters 2 and 3. Um, and then uh, 4, the confirmation by multiple histo early historical verifications, starting with Marcion's canon in A.D. 140. So basically, you've got the 2nd century guys who are going, this is Paul. 
First century, guys, this is Paul. Second century, this is Paul. It is much until you get to about today where some folks are going, well, you know, did he really write it? I don't know. Maybe someone just stuck his name to it. Um, all these crazy things, crazy ideas. There's been a, an attack on Paul's authorship, but as well as his apostleship, not just in his day, but as well in our own day today. And these, this is coming from those who would call themselves higher critics and higher learning. They are of the academia of the theological world. And sadly, they know much about the Bible, yet in so doing, they've torn the Bible to shreds without actually standing on the Bible, actually believing and practicing the Bible. And to be quite honest, would probably fall, many of them, under the line of what John had talked about in First John as Antichrist, who have gone out because they do not believe what the Bible has taught. Now, uh, with this here, it's uh, written in, in 51 AD. In reading Acts 16 through 18, Paul's second missionary journey has seen them driven out of Thessalonica, right? They go there. They stop in Thessalonica. They're preaching, teaching. They go to the synagogue first, which was their custom. Many are saved. Things are going well. And then, of course, an outrage uh, in the city. Ah, drive them out, right? They're teaching false doctrine, even though they're not. They're teaching what God has given. They're teaching the gospel of Christ. They go out. They find themselves then in Berea. They do the same. They find that the Bereans are studying on their own. They're studying in depth. They are seeking to know God. There's great fruit there. Then they're driven out all the more because, as a matter of fact, the Thessalonians who then come chasing them there in Berea and going, get gone, get gone, right? So then Paul ends up in Athens after this, after sending Timothy and Silas then to go check in with some newly formed churches, including Thessalonica. Timothy then reports back to Paul when they meet in Corinth in Acts 18, and Paul then writes a letter. For sake of time today, I encourage you this. If you want to do a little bit of study on this to see kind of what's happening, um, when this letter is being written, and why it's being written, go back and read Acts 16, 17, and 18. Fairly short chapters, but you're going to get a big chunk of seeing their travels together and how the Apostle Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy are being used to establish these churches but as well, the thing that I love about Paul is they would not just establish a church, then leave it alone. They would linger until the Lord said move, and they would always go back and check in with them through letters, through sending of, of Timothy to go check in. How are they doing? They'll report back to me, right? All these different things. We need that sort of uh, mentality in our own uh, today to, to encourage one another, to check on one another, uh, to be there. Um, now, this date as well, just something of historical note, thought this was a little interesting. Uh, this date uh, of about 51 AD has been archaeologically verified by an inscription in the temple of Apollos at Dephi, where Dephi is a, is a town or city near Corinth, and that dates uh, Gallio's service as proconsul in Achaia as AD 51 and 52. Now, you might be going, well, I don't know who any of those are. Well, go read Acts 18 and you'll find out. Uh, Gallio was a proconsul there. And he's mentioned in the scripture, but then there's an inscription of his name dating to the exact year that the Apostle Paul was going through and writing this letter. So this helps to verify. This shows that there is no other, no other religious book out there, and I'll use that very loosely, that is historically accurate like the Bible. The Bible verifies itself historically, archaeologically, not to mention all the spiritual uh, truth that is there that has verified itself over and over and over again. Now, the, uh, the Bible here, it's clearly that it's true. It has been tried, it's been tested, but yet it still stands. And what we find here as we look at Thessalonians, I want to see the origin, the destination. Um, Paul is writing from his stay in Corinth, uh, as you can read about in Acts 18. 
Uh, during his time in Corinth, he's able to pen letters to several churches to encourage, teach, correct issues uh, that have come to his attention. Now, I want to look at Thessalonica, the city. If you want to know about a people, you need to know about where they're from, right? Culture matters, right? I can tell you this. If you live in just a, a couple of different parts of Virginia, you will know that the culture changes, right? You don't have to drive too far, and you know that the culture changes, right? You drive just down the mountain into Mount Airy. Culture is different, right? Uh, the, the town's different. The area's different. Uh, the, the driving's much worse. Um, <laughs> all these things, right? <laughs> I'm looking at my North Carolinian wife over here who's not too much, right? Uh, you, we, we think about this, though. So you don't have to drive far, and things are different. Even slang is different. Even here uh, in Appalachia, right? Uh, different parts of Virginia you go. There's different meanings, different things, different phrases, different accents are different, right, in different parts. Uh, you, you might be able to lump and say southern accent or redneck anise. It's still going to be very different, right? It's going to change from place to place, even county to county, right? Now, this is important, though. Uh, Scroggy writes, Thessalonica was a large and important Macedonian city. It was named after the wife of Cassander, who was the sister, uh, the sister of Alexander the Great, about 315 B.C. It was a flourishing commercial city uh, situated on the sea uh, as the head of the Gulf of Salica by the Ignatian Way. It connected west and east. Um, now, there, this is of some importance here. Where Hillsville is, we play sort of, and you might not think, a very interesting part geographically, right? Culturally, where we are, we've got 77, we've got 58, 52. These used to be, especially 58, 52, used to be very major thoroughfares. You add 77, we're not that far from 81, we're not that far from getting down into other interstates and things. Your location matters. You notice where they put truck stops, where they put them? By the interstate. Why is that? Commerce matters. Trucks stop going, we stop eating, right? Uh, trucks stop, everything stops, right? And so travel matters, uh, location matters. Now, for them here, to help out a little bit, Dr. Hollinger writes, uh, the Ignatian Way was the main Roman road from Rome to the east, and this road passed through Thessalonica. Uh, anyone ever, let's pause for a minute. Anyone ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, right? And now we got all roads lead to Hillsville, right? <laughs> but uh, all roads lead to Rome. What was that idea of? In the Roman Empire, during its heyday, everywhere, eventually, you can find a way to get to Rome. Uh, Rome was the capital. It was the place of, of where everything else of the empire is flowing out of, right? It's the, it's, it's the, the seed where everything else has, has sprung from. Now, this Ignatian way, it is leading here. So it, it says here that uh, he writes, that meant that this put the city in contact with the rest of the world and became one of the major arteries between Rome and the eastern provinces, not only by sea, but by land. Now, that's important. If you are exposed... Let me put it this way. How about this? If you've only ever lived in Carroll County and have not traveled out of Carroll County, how much of the world do you think you know? You know Carroll County, don't you? Right? And that's all you know. How about we go out a little bit further? You've gone over into uh, Smith or you've maybe traveled far up to... You've gone even out of state, right? You've made it to, to West Virginia, right? Well, now you know a little bit more, don't you, Right? Now, if think about this. You want to learn about some different things. You know where to, to probably go. You might learn some bad things. You go to a truck stop. Why is that? You've got all sorts of people coming in and out all the time. If you really want to learn some things, 
go to the mall of a major city, right? And watch all the influence, different cultures, different things, right? You ever notice, even if you just go to Roanoke and downtown, you can find restaurants of countries that you've never even heard of, right? This is up the road. You think about it, there's so much culture in the world, and here this road, this place of Thessalonica is centered smack dab on this way where all these people from the east are traveling west, west, traveling east. You have to go through here, so they're culturally are going to be, as America likes to call themselves, a, 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 a melting pot. I don't know that we're even a melting pot. We're probably a big, giant pot of goulash, right? We're something of all these things different mixed up together here. Now, it was a large city, and many people think that in the ancient world, the population was just very small, right? Thessalonica is only the size of Hillsville, right? Well, no, not quite. We're, we're a neighborhood, maybe. It was about 200,000 people in the city. It's a big old place. And there were, because of this, there's a variety of classes, Jewish, Greek, influence. There's much uh, influence from the world, ranging with moral trajectory as well with the typical idolatry and morality of any other mixed influence Roman city. The Romans were not so much, they loved Rome, right? But they were also very much about, eh, let's embrace whatever, but whatever we take over, we're going to allow them to practice how they want to practice, but with our rules and stuff instead. We're going to introduce some of our things, our ideas. They were very much for the melting pot mentality. It's a very Romanish thing. Now, uh, the purpose of this letter, let's get into that, right? We see a little bit about the city, they're going to be facing some issues, aren't they? Right? They're going to be facing, they've got a wide-ranging uh, group of beliefs. There's a heavy Jewish um, uh, synagogue there that, with lots of influence. But there's also a ton, being that it's a Roman city, a ton of the pagan ideology and mythology. How about the fact that they're a travel center? Constantly, every day, being exposed to new ideas, new beliefs, new thoughts, new thinking, new ways of dressing, new spices, new foods, new music, right? All this makes a big impact on people. It makes a big impact, not just outwardly, but internally, right? Now, the purpose of this here, uh, Thomas writes, in response to Timothy's report, now here's what had happened. Paul sends Timothy, go check on him, bring me back report. Timothy goes, okay. Timothy goes, checks on him, finds out how things are, and we're going to find out about that here. He comes back, and he, one, he expresses satisfaction and thanks to God for the healthy spiritual influence of the church. That's in chapters 1 through chapter 2. Uh, two, to make a strong case countering the false insinuations against himself and his associates. That's going to be in chapters 2 and 3. There's many times when Paul writes letters that he pauses in these letters and has to spend some time either, one, defending his apostleship, or two, just defending their ministry, defending the gospel, all these things. He faced attacks daily from people, physical, spiritual, everything. Um, as well, though, this is uh, to suggest specific ways in which the already strong Christian behavior of the Thessalonians could be improved as they continue to seek God-approved holiness. That's going to be sort of the closing of the book. <clears throat> I like the way that Scroggy uh, puts it together in sort of an outline of this. He's got three major sections. There's going to be, in chapter 1, exaltation in chapters two and three there's explanation and then in chapters uh, four and five is going to be exhortation uh, Grimacki writes the major theme of the epistle though is the second coming of jesus christ every chapter contains at least one reference to that great truth 
Uh, chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you. All we make mention in your prayer. Um, by verse 10, we see, and to wait the Son from heaven, from who is raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Um, we've got uh, chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ at his coming, right? Um, he goes on, chapter 3, verse 13, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Um, chapter 4 is essentially nearly the, the whole entire thing, especially verses 13 through 18, which is sort of the, the um, pinnacle of the rapture passage. Uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 23, and the very God of peace shall sanctify you. Uh, holy as I pray, uh, and I pray, God, your your whole spirit, soul, body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's sort of what I would give as a, as a purpose statement here, right? And this is essentially this: Paul writes to the young church of Thessalonians in order to charge them to live a life of purpose, perseverance, and positional practice in light of the Lord Jesus' imminent return. And to make it real short, he's writing this to tell them. Jesus is coming, right? That should be the summation of, of really, Jesus is coming. You can have your arguments about the, the when, where, why, how, all these different things. Nevertheless, the truth remains, Jesus is coming. And because Jesus is coming, it will and should change how you live. There used to be a time when the imminent return of Christ used to be taught, used to be preached, used to be believed by people, but... Sally, throughout the, the past few generations, we've grown less and less, um, I guess, in love with the thought of Jesus' return. We are so engulfed and entrenched in the world. We are much like the Macedonian churches that we are engulfed uh, with the world systems and ideas. We are so rooted in the world and less rooted in the word. The world has a grip upon us. We have a great love for the things of this world. When we are to have a love to be with the Lord, especially when we think about the Lord's coming. Now, Jesus is coming. And if we were to really get a hold of that simple truth of a purpose that Paul is writing here, he's not just writing for the Thessalonians there in that day, but he's writing for you and I to know this. Jesus is coming. So if you don't know anything else from this, if you don't remember when it was written or where Paul was or even Acts 16 through 18, even if you don't go back and read that like you ought to, know this. Jesus is coming. Now, if we understood and really believed, right? Now, we understand mentally Jesus is coming. We accept that as a fact. If we don't accept that right here and believe it, then all that is just a fact. You see, if we really believe that Christ is coming again, it's going to change how we approach church. It's going to change how we approach the Lord's table. It's going to change how we approach evangelism. It's going to change how we approach our jobs our families. It's going to change how we approach our downtime. It's going to change how we approach all of life to know that Christ could come at any moment. We, we must never lose sight of that. Now, let's get into verse 1 here. Paul's greeting. Paul and Savannah, or Paul, Silas, and Timothy, unto the church of Thessalonians, which in, is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love the fact, first of all, before we get into the, the outline of, of this study, the fact that here in one verse we've got Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Twice. You, you, you might say, well, why does he repeat it? Because it's awfully important. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us all that we must know about Christ. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed of God. Right? He is Jesus, meaning itself a Savior, right? Who was born to take away the sins of the world, to be the Lamb of God, a, a Messiah, a rescuer, a redeemer, a reconciler. And as well that He is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord of creation. He is the sovereign Lord even on the cross. He is the sovereign Lord one day when He comes again. Jesus is God. This shows us Jesus' deity, shows us His humanity, and it shows us His person, that He is the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not just names or titles or statements, but this is who He is. This is His very nature and character. And we must be able to, to take careful note of this. Now, let's first of all look at the men here in this greeting. First of all, the Apostle Paul is chosen by Christ uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, Paul's on his way, as a matter of fact, to persecute the church of Christ. And instead, Jesus meets him there on the way, changes his life. He is saved. He is set apart to be going to the Gentiles. And he didn't just go to the Gentiles, mind you, right? He goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Uh, he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When Paul showed up at Thessalonica, what was the first place that he went to? The synagogue. First place he went to. And what did he do? He opened up the Scriptures. He reasoned. He taught. He preached Christ from the Scriptures. What Scriptures did he have? He hasn't written the New Testament yet. He hasn't uh, seen uh, James and, and John's writings yet. What do we got? He's got the Old Testament. What does that tell us? If you want to find Jesus, you can look in the Old Testament. You can look in the New Testament. Jesus is preached, but veiled in the Old Testament. But He is revealed in the New Testament as going, this is the one that was promised. This is the one that has come. And He has come once, but as Paul reiterates to them, and as they believed and practiced in the early church, Christ is coming again. They believed that in any moment. And somehow along the way, we've, we've lost such. Now in this, though, we want to look here. Uh, Thomas writes, Conspicuous in its absence is the official title apostle. Some might look at this and go, Well, he wasn't an apostle when he wrote Thessalonians. Well, he already was an apostle before he wrote anything. All right? The Lord had set him apart. The Lord had called him. Now look at this, though. Uh, it, it is noted here that uh, the absence of the, apost of the title apostle that Paul uses in all his letters to the churches except 2 Thessalonians and Philippians. A reasonable explanation is that no note of authority was necessary in letters addressed to the Macedonian churches, whereas apostolic position does not seem to have been questioned as it was elsewhere. Nearly every other letter that he writes, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God, set apart by God. That's what an apostle truly is. What he does is he goes and shows them and has to, in every book, defend his apostleship. People didn't believe that he was a messenger sent by God, that he had seen the risen Christ, and he had. And nevertheless, in this, what we find is that Paul will face an answer opposition, just like in every other book in, in chapters 2 and 3, but he will not face opposition for his apostleship. Then we have Silvanus, or Silas. This is the Greek expanded form of Silas. Silas was Paul's companion through their time in Corinth, he was with him for a time, was used by him in several different cities, churches, and locations, and helping to establish many places. 
Thomas writes, as an associate of the founding of the Thessalonian church, Silas endured cruel beatings, imprisonment, and pursuit by an angry mob. You can see that in Acts 16 and 17. He was known for his absolute reliability and faithfulness in risking his life in the service of Christ. It was not just the Apostle Paul there in the jail at Philippi. It was Paul and Silas. It was not just Paul being beaten, but it was Paul and Silas. Silas remained faithful, not just to Paul, but ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is uh, uh, what we should be looked as. We should be desiring to be found faithful of, in Christ. Anytime the New Testament writings uh, uh, show up about Silas or, or write about Silas, Silas is mentioned um, in regard to his faithful service to Christ as well as about his perseverance. And then we have Timothy here. Timothy was a son in the faith to Paul. He was young in age, uh, but he was as well a believer, though, who God raised up to be taught and sent out by Paul. He would be the one who Paul would write First and Second Timothy to, to encourage him, to prepare him for time and service without the Apostle Paul being alive, and for Timothy to persevere, to continue on in the faith and preaching and in his ministry. These three men are united in the gospel, for the gospel, and to the glory of God. About Timothy, here's what else we find, though, that his name appears as a co-author alongside Paul uh, in the heading of a number of Paul's letters, uh, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, um, Philemon. Right? The narrative in Acts tells how he accompanied Paul from near the beginning of the second missionary journey through the time when Paul returned to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary tour in Acts chapter 20. The presence of his name in the heading of the letters writing during Paul's first Roman imprisonment suggests that he accompanied Paul to the imperial city. According to First and Second Timothy, <clears throat> he eventually assumed the role of pastor in, Ephesus, in the Ephesian church. Um, Timothy also receives mention in Hebrews 13.23 as one who had also been imprisoned. Here these three men have endured more than we've ever endured preached more than we will ever preach, witnessed more will ever witness, praised more than we'll probably ever praise, but they simply were men who were surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the key. A soul, male or female, who knows Christ, is surrendered to Christ, and is trusting in Christ's return, can and will be mightily used of the Lord. And now these three men certainly and unashamedly were they lived for the gospel, they died for the gospel, that their entire life was in service to Jesus Christ. Now we see some members here. Look at this. Uh, they're writing to the church of Thessalonians. Paul is writing specifically to the newly established church at Thessalonica. Sorensen writes, Of note is that the letter was not just to sincere believing brethren, but more specifically unto the church of the Thessalonians. Though the church itself was comprised of sincere believing brethren, the greater, um, the greater recipient was that local church. The message of the New Testament is channeled through the local church and has been transmitted down through the ages to like churches. So how is the Lord working in this day and in our day? Through the local church. We've got to be very careful with those who do not submit to the local church. And I'm not talking about submission as in, in a fear of the local church. And we're not talking about medieval uh, Roman Catholicism. We're talking about to those who do not submit to God's authority. God has established the home. He has established government to do its role. And He has established the church to perform its role. There is no such thing 
as a Christian who is willing to not go to church. There are Christians who can't go. What do we call those? Shut-ins. But those who are truly saved and able to attend church, and not just attend, but to be a member of a church, that is what God has called us to do. He has called us to surrender, not to a pastor either, by the way, but to surrender, to submit to one another, to as we all submit to the headship and the lordship of Christ. The church is important. Now, salvation is required to be a member of the local church, as well as the global church. You will never be in Christ unless you have trusted Christ, right? And the moment that you trust Christ, you are now in His body, a part of His bride. You are part of the church. Praise the Lord for that. Now, with this, the word is ecclesia or ecclesia. Um, it is the word translated for church. It means a called out assembly, a congregational assembly specifically. We believe in congregational rule and things, right? We, we practice these different things. And while there are many differences in the broad global church of God, the local church is a beautiful structure because even the local church should be as big and broad to some degree as the global, right? We should not be... Uh, God has never established a black church and a white church, a red church and a brown church. He never did such. He established the church because he died to, and showed his love uh, to purchase the church. He builds his church. The church is not divided and should never be divided by outward skin or a, or, um, a local economic class or standing. The church are those who are covered by the blood of Christ, and they are now members of His church. God works through the local church. There are things that the government tries to do that the local church should do, that family should do. We must understand that God has given roles to the family, to government, and to the church, very specific roles for a reason. But the way in which God operates today, He's operating through the church. The church is to be the body and bride of Christ. To be a member means much more than to be an attender. To be a member means much like what Paul writes to submit your members, to mortify your members. What is he talking about? Your members. Well, he's talking about your body parts, the way he uses it. We have to understand this. If you are saved, you are a, a member of the church of God, and especially if you're a local church member. You have a part to play. You might be the pinky toe, but we need you, right? You might be whatever part you are. Be that part to the glory of God. You've got to understand that. Now, I'm going to have to wrap this up here in circle spot here. We'll, we'll come back and we're going to deal with some more about the church here, about its role, its responsibilities, about who he's writing to and why he's writing to them to, to give them these things and specifically about the church here, but... As we look through this, what we're going to find is that the church of God is meant for one thing. It's meant to occupy this world to the glory of God through the gospel of Christ until Christ returns. That's it. It's much more simple than what we make it out to be. And so if we would keep the main thing, and here's the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, as well as His imminent return, we keep that as the focus the church will be in a good place. The church only has unity through those things. The church only has 
effectiveness and outreach through those things. The church needs the gospel, and that must be central. That Christ is coming again, that He has come, that He's died, He's risen, and that He's coming again for His people. Amen? Uh, Let us pray, and we'll prepare uh, for the worship service. Lord, we thank You for this time. We're grateful that we can gather, we can worship You, Lord, that we can begin to study uh, this book that You've given to us. Help us to learn about this church, but as well about our own, uh, where we uh, are not just here to attend, but here to be a member. Help us to find our place and what that means. Help us to surrender um, all that we are to all that You are today, God, that we would uh, praise You and glorify You in spirit and in truth. We thank You for this time. and pray that You would strengthen us, encourage us, meet the need of every heart through Your Word and through Your Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, we'll take a pause.